At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did. Send me. Let's say that you have some goals in life. I hope I'm not the only one who does this, right? But I always like this thing that I'm chasing, this thing that I'm trying to hit, this, this benchmark, whatever it is. So let's say you're trying to chase it. It's a fitness goal. It's an academic goal. It's a professional goal. You're tracking with me, right? You're chasing after this goal. You're trying to hit it. Let's say you're in that process of I'm growing in the goal. I haven't arrived yet. You picturing that? There was a book written way back in the day, like 1984. They had books back then. It was a long time ago, but they did. This book was called What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School by a guy named Mark H. McCormick. It used to be like required reading, everything they didn't teach you at Harvard Business School. Now, he tells a story in this book. I don't know if the story is true or not. I've tried to chase down to see the validity of this. Is it a real story? Is it made up? I can't find, and I'm just disclosing this so you know ahead of time. I've tried to find evidence that the story is true. I can't find any evidence. Like this is the first time I ever saw it published was this 1984. But anyway, he tells the story of Picasso. Any, that plane is real loud. Did y'all hear that? So distracting. Anyway. Is it a lawnmower? Someone thinks it's a lawnmower. If you're watching online, man, you're missing it. It's like going to land. Like it's, it's real close up there. Anyway, he tells a story. Mark tells a story of Picasso. And he says Picasso's just hanging out. This is the uh, Billyized version of it. He's just hanging out at the cafe one day when this lady comes up to him. And she says, Pablo, it's you. You know, she's so excited. And she goes up to him and she says, hey, will you do me a favor? Here's a napkin. Will you just, will you just doodle something on the napkin? Like, I'll even pay you for it. You know, just doodle something on the napkin. Some of you have heard this story before. And he's, um, he kind of shrugs. She's like, because, you know, I'll pay you whatever you want. I, you know, I'll pay you for it. And so he, he doodles a little bit. And then he goes to slide the napkin over to her. And he says, that'll be $10,000. And she kind of freezes. And she's like, um, Mr. Picasso, that was like 30 seconds worth of work. And he stops. And he says, no, that was 40 years worth of work. Now, some of you, that's where you are in life. You're not at that just starting out phase. You're more like $10,000 for 30 seconds. I'm, I'm a master at what I do. You know, maybe not that much money, but you're still like, but I'm a master at what I do. Like I really worked hard to refine my skill. So somewhere between birth and death, we have this spectrum, right? Where you're either growing in your skill or you've mastered in your skill. But here's my real question. What would it take regardless of where you are in that spectrum? Regardless of I'm just starting out or I'm a master. What would it take for that person to say, I'm going to take my most prized possession, my time, my talents, my treasure, and I'm going to use it to the glory of God. What would it take that person to shift gears and change everything to God's glory? Let's take our Bibles, open up to Isaiah 6. We are wrapping up the sermon series today. It's been a short series. We don't normally do this. It's only a three-week series, but we've been walking our way through Isaiah chapter 
6, we're seeing this moment where Isaiah gets this vision from the Lord. And as he gets this vision of, of God's glory and who he is, he is so convicted by who he is. He receives God's grace. He receives God's forgiveness. And in that place of receiving God's forgiveness, he's compelled to go. Like he knows that he has to, to, to go. And this encouraged us. It's encouraged us at this place where we should be compelled to go to our neighbors across the street. We should go to the ends of the earth, to South Africa, to, to Thailand, to Ecuador. But that's not the only thing that should influence us and compel us to go. So we're going to look at one more attribute of God's character, and that's the authority of God. Not just the forgiveness, not just the mercy, not just the grace, but today we're going to look specifically at the authority of God. It's his call on our lives that you can't skip. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this topic and we've been giving you ways that you can apply this. The ways that you can say, here I am, Lord, send me. We've looked at how you can fill the bags for Samaritan House. And real fast, I was just standing there in the hallway after the last service and uh, Bob came up to me and he had a bag in his hand and he goes, he like jumped into the conversation. He goes, Pastor, I stole the display. I just want you to know. Like, I took the display because we were out of bags. And so, Kathy Wojak, on Thursday, I was talking to her at the National Day of Prayer. And she said, okay, I heard all about running out of bags. I'm going to bring you more bags so that you can fill more bags because we always have need of food. And so, we gave you that opportunity or the opportunity to open your home for a year for a student from Brazil or spring serve. I'm pretty fired up about spring serve, just so you know. I'm power washing they're going to give me a power washer, maybe. Uh, they're probably going to give me an electric one so I can't hurt anything. That's probably what's going to happen. And uh, it's going to be great. Amy just signed up this morning during the first song. And what are you doing? Fence rows? Uh, yeah. Fence rows. Well, I don't know what that... That's not going to be near as fun as power washing. Anyway, Amy, happy Mother's Day, honey. So Amy's going to clean... Amy's going to clean fence rows. It's going to be wonderful. But we want to continue to do that. We want to be people who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That's why I do that. I just give you opportunity. But it's not even those specific items that I'm really driving at. It's more that place of just being obedient to whatever God calls you to. That brings us to our big idea that God's calling is what compels us to go. So how do you know? How, how do you know what he's calling you to do? Like, how do you know? Like, how do you really know what he's calling you to do? And then what are you supposed to do about it? And so just two quick points today. The first is that you have to listen for God's calling. You have to listen for God's calling. Look at verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard, I would underline that in my Bible. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So let's recap, just in case you missed last week, what's going on with the start of Isaiah chapter 6? Because we've already had five chapters now building up to this point. At this point in Israel's history, Israel is divided into two nations. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, and you have Judah, Judah is the home of Jerusalem. And so that's where King Uzziah has been king for 52 years. 52 years he's been king, but all of a sudden he's dead. That's what happens with earthly kings, isn't it? Their kingdoms will end. Their palaces will fade away. 
And so King Uzziah has died in the nation here of Judah. The people are so nervous at this point. Because they know that Judah is ripe for invasion from their enemies. They're, they're ready to be taken over. And so there's all this concern and there's all this turmoil. And that's when Isaiah has this vision. And he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted. And when he saw the Lord in all his glory and all his holiness, there was such a place of conviction in his own heart. Remember what he said? He said, woe to me. Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You know what I think we do? I think oftentimes we um, look at our own sin in light of others. Like we, we do this comparison game, which is not what Isaiah is doing here. But we do. We say, you know, I'm doing pretty good today. I haven't, I haven't stolen anything today. I haven't done that. I haven't murdered anyone all week. You know, I'm doing pretty good. My, my sin's not that bad. But I want you to look at what Isaiah's sin was that he was so convicted of. Do you hear what he said? He sees the holiness of Almighty God. He's supposed to be God's spokesperson, right? He's God's prophet. And what does he say? What do I mean? I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't believe what I've said. I can't believe the words that I've let escape my mouth. That, that should cause all of us this morning to pause a little bit, shouldn't it? How have I used my words this week? What have I said? What are those things that maybe they didn't even come out of my mouth, but man, they filled my heart. And if just the right moment happened, it's going to come springing out of my mouth. What are those things? Because Isaiah looked around and he said, I know the things I've said, and I know the people I live among. And it's in that place that he is absolutely undone. He is wrecked in that moment, understanding what he deserves next to a holy God. But that's when the seraphim, These angels with six wings, right? These angels with six wings, two they cover their face, two they cover their feet, and two they fly. They went over to the altar sacrifice with tongs. They grab a hot coal, and they take that hot coal, and they touch it to his lips. And they cleanse him. They purify him. They say that his sins are atoned for. They are covered. They are paid for. That's what happens. Now, Isaiah chapter 6 is what's known as Isaiah's call. I like to think about Isaiah chapter 6 more like chapter 1 of his life as a prophet. This is where it all starts. But that's not the most incredible thing to me. The most incredible thing is to see what happens immediately after the atonement. Immediately after his sin is paid for. Do you see what happens? There There is this impact of reconciliation between him and God. Here's what I mean. Have you ever, and maybe you haven't, I shared some of my story last week, and so this was definitely me. Have you ever prayed and been like, Lord, I just need to hear from you? Yeah, I didn't hear from you, so I'm going to get back to what I was doing. Have you ever done that? <laughs> you know, it's like every few months, you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just discontent inside. There's something that's not right. Okay, Lord, I just, I really need to hear from you today. I didn't hear anything. I can get back to it now, you know? And, and so you just repeat this process every few months. Guys, I did that for years. I did that for like, I mean, two, three years. I mean, it was a season for me. Every, and I would love to say, no, I was so on it with prayer. It was a daily morning, noon, and night. Like, no, that wasn't what I was doing. It was every few months it would start to stir, and I would pray that prayer. And it was, and maybe this is just confession time for me, but I, I think there was a little bit of expecting like an out-of-body experience or something. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like something mystical, like the bird was going to come and land, and then I would know it's really God or 
the roof is going to get pulled back and I'm going to hear his voice go, hey, Billy, you know, and then he's going to have my attention. I think that's what I was expecting. And the whole time, really what the Lord was waiting for was this place of reconciliation between the two of us for my heart to surrender to him, for me to see him in his holiness, for me to come to that place of saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's where it starts. And then look what immediately happens. Up to this point, have you noticed that Isaiah has not heard from the Lord yet? Isaiah hasn't heard anything. from. He's heard the angels. He's heard the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's heard that. But this is the moment. Do you see? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now, I want you to think about in just these few moments what Isaiah has experienced. The grace, the forgiveness of God, yes, but he has seen the authority of God. He was shaken to the place. He's like, I shouldn't even speak right now because the authority of Almighty God. So what's he going to say? Yeah, who are you going to send? I'm, I'm, I'm awful busy right now, Lord. I don't, no, here I am. Send me. That's the only possible response that he can give. Now, one thing I want to point out, when God says, whom shall I send? It's not because God's up in heaven with his arms crossed going, boy, I'm looking for the unbusy person on planet earth. I need the unbusy person because I don't know how I'm going to get this done otherwise. God is eternal. God is holy. He is all powerful. He does not need us. Are you kidding me? He doesn't need us. He's not asking because he's in desperate need. And otherwise, this can't possibly get done. That's not why he's asking. It's like when I was a little boy, since it is Mother's Day. When I was a little boy, sometimes my mom would get out the mixing thing, you know, the little hand mixer. And I'd hear it. That was a happy sound in my house because it meant we're getting something we normally don't get. And then she would do this. She would always first in middle name. She'd say, Billy Shiloh, get in here. And when I heard that, I was like, so like, yes, mama. You know, I run in there real fast, fast as I could. I get in there and, you know, hands behind my back. Yes, ma'am, can I help you? And she's like, I need help with this. Can you help clean this bowl up for me? Yeah, you get that little plastic spoon, you know. My mama didn't need my help cleaning that bowl, right? Mama didn't need my help. She didn't. She was doing that for me. Right? Or when she said, hey, will you help me clean up your room? She, she didn't need my help. She was teaching me for my own good. She was teaching me. She was instructing me. The Lord here really doesn't need Isaiah, and yet he gives him a specific task. You're going to be my prophet, my ambassador. You're going to go to a people. To go, to be sent out, is, that's what the word missionary is. I, I always think about Isaiah as a prophet, and he is. But he is also one who is sent out. But notice where he's sent out to. He's sent out to his own home, to Judah. He's not sent to go to Assyria. He's not sent to go to some other nation. He's sent to go to the people where he says, I live among a people of unclean lips. A people who are rebellious in their heart right now against God. That's who he's sent to. Now this is what his calls look like. We see other places in scripture where God calls, don't we? Sometimes it's a still small voice in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes it's a burning bush. You remember right when the New Testament starts, you have the call of Mary, a son of Jesus. She's visited by angels. And listen to how she responds. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. You see, when moms parent the way that the Lord has called us to, it is one of the most selfless, selfless acts in the world. One of the most selfless acts in the world. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Here's the thing. Maybe the Lord is calling you to overseas missions. Maybe he is calling you to go to a whole nother nation where they speak a whole nother language. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe he is calling you to participate in spring serve. Maybe he is calling you to grab one of those bags and fill it up with groceries. But here's what we know for certain. That God calls each and every single one of us to be his ambassadors regardless of where we're placed. Every single one of us are supposed to be faithful to him in spreading this news wherever we are. The question isn't if you're called, it's where and it's how. That's the question. It's not if we're going to be called. So Isaiah was called. He was called to go. To go to the people of Judah. To continue. Now notice also what he's called to. Not to draw a big crowd. That, that wasn't it. Not to get people to nod their heads in agreement. That, his job was simply to speak truth. And that brings us to our last point. That we go to the world. Look at verse 9. After Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Look at God's response. And he said, go. There you go. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? One word, two letters, go. Pretty easy to understand. It's hard to live out. It is so easy for us to comprehend this message of go. It is so much more difficult to live in truth and grace. Jesus lived, and then he was crucified on a cross, and then he was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he conquered sin and death and rose again. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And before he ascended into heaven, he had appeared to no less than 500 eyewitnesses. He brought them together at various times. One point, right before Jesus ascended, he brought the disciples together. We call this the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, that's your call. That's your commission. That's my call to go and to make disciples. That's our lives. That's what we are supposed to be doing. doesn't matter whether you're at the very beginning stages of developing your skills or whether you're Picasso. That's our call. This is who we are. This is, Malachi once says, for the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We get to be part of that, of making his name great among the nations. So what does obedience look like for you? Not just hearing it, but doing it. I said this before, but every single one of us, this is an all play. When it comes to the mission, it's an all play for us. You can pray, you can give, you can go, but it's going to be one of them or multiple of them. You can pray, 
You can give, you can go. I want to talk about pray and give in just a second. Let's talk about go first. You see, for some of you, every single time we start to talk about international missions, this global call, and the call of the Lord is global on our lives, maybe there's some in this room that you really start to stir. Oh, my goodness. Like every single time you hear about global missions of going and learning a language and serving people of another culture, you don't know what's going on, but your stomach starts to flip-flop and your hands get sweaty. And that's the reason I think there's so many people signed up to go to Ecuador. There's so many signed up for September. If you, there's like 24 hours, guys. We're, we're really needing to lock down the sign-up. So if you're wanting to go for a short term, you need to talk to us quickly. But there's some of you that you're listening and you're going, I don't, I don't mean like a seven-day thing. Like, no, I feel like the Lord might be calling me to something more than that, longer than that. The Global 100 is something that you need to know about. The Global 100 is a vision from Woodside where we want to send out 100 missionaries from Woodside. Did, did you hear that? I don't, I don't mean for a week. No, I mean to, to go. 100 missionaries to go. So it would be a multi-year process. You would come in, you would learn, you would be discipled, you'd be equipped, equipped to the point where you're ready to start. Anyone who's lived on the mission field can tell you, like, no, you're not, you don't, you're not ready, really. Like, you don't know everything you need to know until you live in another country. If you've ever lived in another country, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're just, you're just ready to start. That's all you're ready for. But if that's you, we want to share that information with you. Here's what I want you to do. Your bulletin has a tear-off card, a communication card. Just write your name on there and your contact information, email or phone, whichever. And just write Global 100. And on the way out today, right outside that door, there's a connect desk. All you got to do is drop it off. I promise we will make sure that that gets into the hands of the right person. But there's also the pray and the give part. As a church, we want to be so intentional of how we are praying for our global missionaries. We have partners all around the world. We have Kim Smith in Liberia. We have, we have Thailand. We have, we have so many places that you can go and, and, and be part of our partnership that's there. And so I want you to be intentional about making sure that you look up our global partners and participate in praying alongside those partners. You can give to help support the, the work that's going on there. But you see, the mission's not just global. It's, it's local too, isn't it? It's kind of like when you throw a rock into the water and you see how the, the, the ripples are real big right here and they keep going outwards. We should make sure that there's a great impact happening right here in our own home. That's why we talk about Samaritan House. That's why we talk about serving at Simpson Park. That's why we talk about opening your home as a host home. I want to really dial it in, though, even more and talk about our kids' ministry just for a moment. Our kids' ministry. You know, for a long, long time, I've read our history all the way back to the 1800s, this church has cared deeply about ministry to that next generation. We've cared deeply about it. There are some in this room, as I look around the room, there's some who have been part of this church for decades. And they will tell you, you can go back decades and this church cared deeply about ministry to, to our teenagers and to our kids. And we haven't changed. Now, here's what's changed. Every church, I don't know the church that says, I don't care about kids. I don't know that church. We all care about kids. We all care about worship. But it's how we go about it that's unique. And Woodside does have a very unique way of going about children's ministry. 
You see, we know that there's 52 to 54 times a year that we come together. 52 to 54, because we got Christmas Eve, we have Good Friday. And 52 to 54 times, that'd be if you came every single time the doors were open. I don't know that person. Maybe you're here, introduce yourself, because I don't know of anyone who's here every single, including me, who's here every single time the doors are open. And so let's, let's say 50. In 50 hours, your children cannot get all the discipleship they need for their life. They can't get that in 50 hours. That's your work week with a little bit of overtime. That's all that is. And so you can't say for the whole year they have everything they need. That's why we believe this. Our job as a church is not to be the main disciplers of your children. We're partners. We're partners. You're with them when they wake up. You're with them when they eat at the dinner table. You're with them when you walk along the road, when you, when you come back through the threshold of your home. You're there when they lay down to sleep. You're there. Our job is to partner with you. You're doing an incredible work, parents. We want to be part of that. That's why we resource you. We spend a lot of energy on the, on the app that we have. We spend a lot of energy in making sure you get resources to go home. We spend all this energy on resources. Ben mentioned this. He said, one year ago today was our first day in this room. That's weird. It seems like we've been here a lot longer than that. But it's only been one year now. Here's what's happened in that year. Our children's ministry has grown like bonkers. Like it is just to the point that Tracy came to me a couple weeks ago and she said, okay, Billy, we're in trouble. We're out of room. And I go, we just built a church. We can't be out of room. What do you mean we're out of room? And she goes, no, no, we're, we're out of room. She said, but the good news is I have one, one more room. Like I, ha- I have another room that we can open. She says, I, I just need people to serve. Now here's how it works to serve with kids ministry. You serve every other week, every other week, and you serve for one service. So you serve for a service and you attend for a service. If you're bad at math, that means you volunteer for two hours per month when you're part of kids' ministry. Two hours per month, that's what we're asking for. Tracy said, if I have six to eight new volunteers, we can open up that room. We have one more room to open. We have so many kids, our, our rooms are getting to capacity. She said, but I can open another room with six to eight volunteers. Now, a couple things you need to know. You have to be a member, and you have to pass some background checks, and you have to get some... We we take the security of our kids very seriously. So just because you try to sign up today doesn't mean next week we're putting you in the room. It doesn't work like that. Like, it's going to take a little time. But I tell you all this not because I want to guilt anyone into serving. I don't want to shame anyone into serving. I just want to tell you about the opportunities that are there because I believe the Holy Spirit has already been stirring in some of you. And so in just a moment, I'll give you a chance to respond. One other thing I want to tell you about, though, that would be like the, hey, I want to be part of the monthly serving in kids ministry. Some of you are like, I can't because of my schedule with work. I never know what weeks I'm here, what weeks I'm out because of travel. And let me tell you about one week a year. We call it flip camp. Back in the day, it was vacation Bible school. Flip camp. Now, every campus at Woodside does flip camp. Some campuses do one day. Some campuses do a combination. Like Algonac, they're going to partner with Chesterfield just because it's a smaller campus. They're going to partner with Chesterfield to make their flip camp happen. Some campuses do three days. Tracy goes all out. She's like, four days for us. We're going to do four days worth the flip camp. This is that week where we want to make it so easy for those from outside of maybe our church community to come in as well. I mean, there's everything you remember about it. it it's 
just awesome. You've got the craft time. You've got the activity time. You've got the large group time. You've got the smaller group time. Kids love flip camp. Now, I'm going to come back to serve in just a moment, but let me go back to pray. Do not wait till June to start praying for this. Church family, this is all of us. I don't don't care whether you have kids or not. I don't care whether you know any... I think this is something where all of us have to partner together in praying for the families who are going to be associated with this. For those who are going to be serving, we want to be praying even now for Flip Camp. And then let me talk about giving. Giving. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you give your normal tithe, when you give your normal offering, most of you give online. Some of you give at the boxes at the back of the room. When you give, that money goes to handle our our budgetary needs. We vote at the annual celebration, and we affirm the budget for the next year. But sometimes there are things that happen that aren't part of the budget. Sometimes families go through the unthinkable. And so there's individuals in our church that they are very faithful in giving to our deacons fund or benevolence fund. And how you do that is after you give like your normal offering, you would just write an extra check. And on the envelope that's right in front of you, you just write benevolence on it or, or deacons, whatever. But when you put that into the box at the back, that doesn't go into our normal account where all of our offerings go. So when you see that number that says, here's how we're doing on giving our offerings, this particular check, this goes somewhere completely different. And it's managed by our deacons here at this campus. They manage those funds. So when someone has a need, they make sure that we help meet that need. That's what they do. Well, sometimes there's things that happen, like with our student ministry, they have a winter retreat, and it costs money. There's Hope Week, and it costs money. And for some families, that'd be prohibitive to them being able to allow their kids to participate. So Ben's able to go up to those families and say, hey, just so you know, the cost is covered. You don't need to worry about it. We, We just take care of that. Our church family, we take care of that. It's done. Tracy's able to do the same thing with Flip Camp. Tracy can go to families and to say, hey, just so you know, this cost is covered. Like, it's taken care of. You don't, you don't need to worry about this. We don't ever want money to be an obstacle to anything for families to participate in. So maybe the Lord's stirring in you to say, like, okay, I don't know that I can, I can serve during that week because I'm going to be out of town or whatever, but I want to give to that. That is exciting to me. As you give to the Deacons Fund, the Benevolence Fund, that's what that money goes to. So Tracy with Flip Camp, Tracy's looking, she's going, okay, for Flip Camp to be what we need it to be, we need 60 volunteers. Tracy, you said you have 15 right now? 20. Oh, it increased over the past few days. She's got 20, so she needs 40 more. And I just tell you that because my suspicion is there's people in this room that you are called to global missions. Some to go for a week, some to go more. There are people who are called to serve at Spring Serve. There are people who are being called out to adopt or to foster a child. There are people who are being called out to start a Bible study at your workplace. There are people who are being called out to invite your neighbor over for dinner to talk to them about Jesus. There are people in here who are being called out right now to volunteer with kids. So again, you do need to be a member. You're going to have to walk through a background check and some various things. Instead of waiting, though, and telling you, hey, when you get home, I want you to remember to email. It makes it awful hard. I just want you to do this. If you feel compelled that I know the Lord is calling me, Lord, here I am, send me to the kids. Will you raise your hand right where you are? Because we have ushers with cards. It's just going to ask for your name and your email. That's it. That's all they're asking. 
just raise your hand right where you are and they'll make sure to get you a card right now. As you're raising your hand and we're completing that, I want to leave you with this. Paul said, I I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's remember that Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He fed those who were hungry. He clothed those who needed it. He healed those who were sick, who were lame, who were blind. He went to the parties. He sat down at the table. He ate. He told the stories. He went to the cross. He paid for the price of all of our sin by the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. He was placed into the tomb. But on the third day, there was victory. On the third day, he conquered death. And friends, we're called to live as Christ, to give our lives away. Our lives have been purchased. Father, I pray that we are men and women, teens and children who are very quick to lift our hands in the air and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, I believe that you're calling out different people within this church family right now for all kinds of things. I just pray that you give us ears to hear, that you give us clarity, that we're not waiting for an out-of-body experience, but we're, we're quick to dive into your word. Lord, and to respond to the calling that you give us through Scripture. That we're quick to listen to those in our life group who are affirming the calling that you've placed on our lives. Lord, give us the ears to hear when you say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Knowing that you don't need us, but you allow us to be part of a holy work, an eternal work. So, Lord, we pray that wherever you call, we're willing to go. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.